Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Garrett Walden, and I'm a friend of Kevin and a friend of Lakeview. To tell you a little about myself and why in the world I'm here, um, I came to college back in the day, and I was a Lakeview College student for the whole time I was in college. I was here pretty much every time the doors were open, and as I look around, I see some familiar faces, people who probably saw me here more than they would have expected to. Um, I love Lakeview, and Lakeview will always be my home church. Um, So when I finished school, I got married to my beautiful wife, Kat. She's back there with our four kids. And so we got married and moved up to Louisville, Kentucky, and I went to seminary, and then I moved back here. And so now I'm a pastor at another church here in town, and super, super grateful to be asked by Kevin to come and and share God's word with you. So I'm, I'm grateful to be back in Auburn. I love Auburn. And I love Lakeview. It's really bizarre to be back in Auburn, but somehow not be at Lakeview. So when Kevin asked if I would be up for uh, coming to, to share with you guys, I was like, yes, I would love that more than anything. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. So why don't you take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 10. I want to speak to you this morning on the theme of the full assurance of faith. That's a phrase we find in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be in verses 19 through 22. Lord willing, I'll be back again next week uh, to do something kind of similar. I can tell you more about myself uh, next week too, but hopefully that's good enough for an introduction. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22. This is the word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Mm, That's good. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning thankful for the gospel. Lord, you have called us out of the darkness of our sins and into the marvelous light of Christ. You have transferred us from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved Son. So Father, we ask that you would illumine our hearts by your Holy Spirit's power, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your Holy Spirit says to your church. Lord, I thank you for Lakeview. Thank you for this college ministry and the way that it served and blessed and sent me. And God, I pray that you would use the preaching of your word to conform us to the image of your beloved son. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. I want you to think about this statement here. To be a Christian without assurance is to have a soul truly safe, but not a soul truly happy. Think about that. To be a Christian without assurance is to have a soul truly safe, but not a soul truly happy. I came across this statement several weeks ago when I was studying, and I haven't been able to get it out of my head. It's been just kind of bouncing around in there. It comes from a letter written between two pastors in the 1750s. And 
I really, I, I can't, I don't have time to get sidetracked into the history lesson of that, though if you know me, you know I really want to do that. I would love to just tell you all about John Ryland and James Hervey. And, um, but the, the statement here, I think, is worth our attention and biblical reflection. To be a Christian without assurance is to have a soul truly safe, but not a soul truly happy. So this gets to one of the most important questions that a Christian can ask and a Christian must ask. And it's this, are you sure that you are right with God? Are you sure about that? How, how sure are you about that? At the, at the end of your life, how sure are you that you won't be eternally and finally disappointed, eternally condemned by God for your sins? How confident are you that, that Christ is yours? He's, he's truly and personally yours, not just theoretically, but actually. So to, to get at this question and to dive into this topic, I want to I root this sermon in the text of Hebrews 10, specifically looking at verse 22. Uh, so why don't you look there at verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in the full assurance of faith. So this phrase is what I really want you to come away with this morning, is to understand what verse 22 is really getting at. So I want to give you a brief exposition here. So uh, it's, it's important to understand the author of Hebrews has been making this case ever since chapter 1 of the perfection and the completeness of Christ's sacrificial offering for sin. In the Old Covenant, there were fallible human priests offering up incompetent animal sacrifices year after year after year after year. But now, in establishing the new covenant, Jesus Christ comes as a sinless high priest, and he has borne our sins in his body on the cross. He has satisfied the divine wrath that was due to sinners. And it was his perfect and holy sacrifice that is sufficient for all time. And it's never to be repeated. This is the foundation of the gospel. This is the new covenant that we are members of if we are in Christ. And because that's true, we who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are united to Christ by faith. All the blessings of Christ are ours by faith, by inheritance. All the benefits of the new covenant are ours in Christ. And one such blessing is assurance. And that's what verse 22 is saying. Because of Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, we Christians can have absolute confidence to enter the presence of God. And we do that most fundamentally in prayer. I think prayer is what's really meant here in verse 22 when it says, let us draw near to God. I think it's in a spirit of prayer that our intimacy with the holy God is most clearly demonstrated. So it's, it's in this sense that the, the writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near to, to God. Let's, let us draw near with a true heart and in the full assurance of faith. This, this is an, an exhortation. It's this emphatic urging. It's pleading. It's not optional. We have to do it. We must. It's not the kind of negative command, like one of the Ten Commandments, like thou shalt not. It's not um, a kind of flat imperative like a law do this and live. But instead, it's an, it's an exhortation, 
An exhortation is a, is a call to a Christian duty or responsibility or obligation. And it, but it comes in the form of an invitation. Let us. That, that language of let us is the language of exhortation. And so he says, let us draw near with a true heart and the full assurance of faith. So to come back to our question, how sure are you that you are right with God this morning, right now? This passage is, is leading us by the hand to a solid answer, and it's that you can have assurance, and you should have assurance. You both can and you should. And so to cover this, uh, this statement on the full assurance of faith, I want you to think with me about five points. The, the nature of assurance, the possibility of assurance, the foundation of assurance, the effects of assurance, and the obstacles to assurance. We're going to go through those, so just hang with me. If you're taking notes, that's going to be the outline here. So the first thing is the nature of assurance. What is this thing? Assurance is the spiritual sense that Christ is truly and fully yours. It's more than an intellectual agreement with the facts of the gospel. It's the sense of personal ownership and application of gospel truth. It's knowing and it's a, it's a knowing and feeling application of the gospel message to your own life. And it's a sense of confidence and surety that the grace of the gospel is your own, that it's for you. So notice that I'm not saying that unassured faith is illegitimate faith. Unassured faith is not illegitimate faith. It is possible and it is not uncommon for genuine Christians to lack assurance or to struggle with assurance. You can, you can truly belong to Christ by faith and lack assurance. Or you can have a weak sense of confidence in your Christian identity. So, Weakness does not mean illegitimacy. You need, to, you need to really hear that. Weakness does not mean illegitimacy. So assurance is this spiritual sense, not just that the gospel is true, but that the gospel is true for you, for me. It's not just that Jesus Christ is a Savior, but that He is your Savior, He's my Savior, now and forever. That's what the full assurance of faith is. But is it possible? Is it possible to have that kind of assurance, that kind of confidence? So number two, the possibility of assurance. Is such assurance of faith possible? Yes. Yes, it is. Easy enough, right? Um, so we see that in the text this morning. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So first of all, who's being addressed here? It's us. Believers in Jesus, regenerate Christians. That's the us in let us draw near. And so what, what does the author of Hebrews tell us to do? He says we should draw near with a true heart and in the full assurance of faith. And so, so clearly there's a command to draw near in the form of an exhortation, in the full assurance of faith. And so that means that for the Christian, all of God's gospel commands are attended with the ability to obey them. 
Because we're Christians, we can obey the commands of God. Why? Because we have a renewed nature. The unregenerate person cannot obey the commands of God because they have a heart that's dead. They're spiritually dead. But we who are followers of Christ, we have a new nature. The old is gone. The new has come. We have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So because we have a new nature, and because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we actually can do the things that God calls us to do. Of course, we struggle with indwelling sin, and so we never do that perfectly. But we have the spiritual power by the Holy Spirit to do what God's called us to do. It's not just this text that we find this. It's all throughout Scripture. Colossians 2, 2 and 3. Paul writes that the church at Colossae, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Listen to this. To reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. To reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 1 John 5.3. 1 John 5.3 says, I write these things to you who have... Uh, to, who believed in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know. Not so that you might guess or suppose or have a hunch or feel pretty confident about it, but no, that you may know. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12. The author of Hebrews says there, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you might not be sluggish, but imitators of the one uh, as imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Then down in verse 19, the same, same passage says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. All of Scripture is driving us to full assurance of faith. And so do you actually believe that it's possible for you to have confidence that God is pleased with you and that Christ is your true soul friend. That Christ is a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. Maybe there are some here who might think to yourselves, maybe other people can, can be sure about that, but, but there's no way I can be sure about that. I'm just not one of those people. Um, no. With all the love in my heart, No. That's not an acceptable resolution. That's not an acceptable conclusion to come to. You can have assurance. Every single Christian can have assurance, and you should have assurance. This is an invitation, and if you have a new nature in the Holy Spirit, you both can and you should. You're invited in. Why wouldn't you? Why, why don't you? The, the full assurance of faith is not just a possibility, but it is God's will for every Christian. It's not just for the especially disciplined Christian. But it's for the, the weak-willed as well. It's not just for the, 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 the unscrupulous and unmindful Christians. It's for the introspective and conscientious Christians as well. It's not just for the, the, the optimistic and the light-hearted Christians. And the, the easy-to-get-along-with Christians. It's for Christians with scars from past hurts. And mental health challenges and melancholic dispositions. All of those people, if it were a matter of personal willpower or disposition or any of those sorts of things, if it were a matter of reward for spiritual service, it probably would not be possible. Or at least it wouldn't be possible for many people. But assurance is a gift of God. 
It is a gracious gift of God. It's purchased for us in Christ. And it's worked into us by the Holy Spirit. And you, if you are in Christ, you can receive the gift of assurance. And God loves to give the gift of assurance. And he desires to give it to you. You can rest assured based on this gospel invitation. Let us draw near in the full assurance of faith. So assurance is both infinitely desirable and it's mercifully possible for every Christian. But on what basis might we be confident that we could be assured? So third, the foundation of assurance. Human reason alone can never furnish your soul with gospel assurance. Just thinking about it, reading the right books, listening to the right sermons... Human reason alone can't get you there. You might be able to memorize all the right answers to doctrinal questions, you, but, but you cannot have assurance through the memorization of pro- propositions. It ain't going to happen. You might be able to act in accordance with the people in the seats near you, but you cannot have the full assurance of faith by behavior modification. The, the appropriation of assurance is a spiritual gift, but it's not without reasons. It's not without foundations. So here are five foundations Five foundational reasons for assurance. First, the love of God. Love is the will of God to communicate good to another person. It's it's the love of God. God loves sinners like you and me. And since God's redeeming love is perfect, it always accomplishes its purpose. It, It accomplishes its purpose in communicating the goodness of God to the souls of his people. And so if God has loved us by actually redeeming our souls in Christ, why do you think God would want you to limp along in the Christian life, uncertain about whether or not you're really okay with him or not? It's just not right. He doesn't want that. Because God's love is perfect and he loves sinners, we can have the full assurance of faith that if we truly belong to Christ, he wants us to know it deep in our souls. Second, the power of God. The power of God is a foundation of our assurance. It's, it's uh, because God is infinitely able to do all that he desires to do. We know he desires to do good to us because of his love, and he's actually able to do that. So if God wants us to have assurance, that means he's able to provide assurance to us. And so if anyone lacks the full assurance of faith, it's not because of any deficiency in God's ability to give it to us. Our assurance rests on the foundation of God's power to save to the uttermost. So third, third foundation, the promises of God. God tells us what he's like, and God does not change. So we can have assurance. We can rest assured in God's promises. He promises to be near to us. He will never deceive us. He'll never abandon us. He will not fail to do all of his will concerning us. He'll never forget or overlook us, even when other people do. If God says that we're forgiven, then that means we're truly forgiven, even if you don't feel like it. If God says that we're righteous in Christ, then we're righteous in his sight, even if you don't feel like it. If God says that he's going to bring his work to perfection, to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, then our souls are eternally safe with Christ. He's promised it. And we have to take him at his word. Our assurance rests on the promises of God that he's not going to go back on his word. He's not going to bail on his promises to us. 
That's a sweet assurance. Fourth, a fourth foundation of assurance is the work of Christ. God gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him might have eternal life. It's like ABCs of the Christian life, right? So Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and our soul is as secure as Jesus' work is finished. So notice in the context of our text in Hebrews 10, the work of Christ is the, is, is the primary foundation of our assurance. Look at verse 19 again. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus. He's rooting this confidence in the work of Christ on the cross. It's by this new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. He's saying the death of Jesus is the ground of our assurance and hope and confidence. In verse uh, 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he's saying Jesus is our mediator. He has not just died abstractly, theoretically sometime back there, but he is the mediator between God and man. So, Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in the full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. Again, another reference to the cleansing of Christ's blood for sinners. Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the blood of Jesus assures us that the Christian life, Christian identity is not a fantasy. He really died and we're really forgiven. He died for us. And the way to glory is opened by his death. And we can be assured that God receives us because we're united to Christ by faith. So Jesus has this role as our great high priest, and he assures us that we truly belong to God. He's our mediator. And so we have no reason for shame or doubt because Jesus is our mediator. Our assurance rests at the foot of the cross, and our assurance rests at the right hand of the throne of God. Fifth, a fifth foundation is personal spiritual experience. Personal spiritual experience. By God's grace, if you are a Christian, you know deep in your soul that God has done a work in you. The Holy Spirit assures you in the inner person that you belong to God. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. But you might say, wait a minute, that's, isn't that subjective? Yes, it is. It is beautifully and wonderfully and mercifully and meaningfully subjective. And that is a rich basis of assurance. It's not the only one. If that were the only one, we'd have a problem. But we have all these other foundations as well. But that subjective one is not meaningless. We have the assurance because of personal spiritual experience. The, the grand object of our faith has graciously assured us, his unworthy subjects, you and me, he's assured us in our inner being by the Holy Spirit that we are his. And so if you're a Christian, then you know what it means to belong to Jesus, to be filled with the Spirit, to be emptied of self-confidence and selfish ambition, and to be wholly consumed with the glory of God. Even if only in a small way, you've experienced that, the, the freedom of the children of God. Even if only as a foretaste, just inconsistently and hypocritically, however it may be, your spiritual experience of the Holy Spirit, however small or great, is a sweet 
assurance that God is doing a work in your heart. So if assurance is possible, and it rests on all of these great and sure foundations, and I'm sure there are more, what difference does it make? What difference? Is it being saved enough? What difference could it possibly make to have assurance? So let me give you the fourth point, the effects of assurance. The assured Christian is the most effective Christian. Effective for what? Like, who cares? You're effective to live out all of God's design for your life, which is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The, the, the assured Christian is the most effective Christian in loving God best and loving your neighbor most. And so I wanted to expand on this and help you see these effects of assurance. Uh, again, here's, here's five things. First, assurance banishes fear. It banishes fear. One of the great effects of assurance is that you won't be a slave to fear. Fear is this uneasiness of mind that there's something bad about to happen. There's some impending evil on the horizon. And there are all sorts of reasons why you might be fearful. And there, there are some good and right reasons to be fearful. There's some scary stuff out there. It's right to be fearful of certain things. Bad things can and do happen. There are frightening things in the world. But fear of condemnation by God is inappropriate for a Christian. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Of course it happens. But it's, it's not proper for a Christian. The, the full assurance of faith is the antidote to this. It's an antidote to spiritual fear. And so while we have some genuine fears in the world, gospel assurance stabilizes us internally, emotionally, psychologically, because we have a spiritual confidence that we are God's, and God is sovereign over all things. The sovereignty of God is no comfort in fearful times if you're not assured that he is for you and you're his. So first, assurance banishes fear. Second, assurance motivates holiness. It motivates holiness. So if you're you're assured of God's welcoming embrace then you will not run into the arms of idols. And you will not allow Satan to have a foothold for impurity. If you're assured of true forgiveness, you're going to desire to exercise every muscle in grateful obedience to God and to His Word. Solid and full assurance of faith makes us hate sin more. And that's a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? If I know that, like, no matter what, I'm okay, I'm all good with God, wouldn't that make me like more, like, I guess, reckless and open to sin? If we're confident, wouldn't it make us less motivated to live an upright life? Maybe that's true if, it, if salvation was just some dry forensic status. But it's not. The, the full assurance of faith is this relational nearness to God. It's not just some dry forensic status. It's an inner conviction that says, I am not my own, but I have been bought with a price. And this, has this, this produces this resolved sense of true identity. And this identity is the rock-solid basis for killing sin and walking in holiness. So assurance actually motivates holiness rather than motivates um, a permissiveness to sin. So third, Assurance leads to contagious joy. 
It leads to contagious joy. So how can you rejoice in the gospel if you're not fully convinced it's actually for you? You really can't. Just like there's no reason for joy in hearing good news that's untrue, there's no reason for joy in knowing that your forgiveness is possible but not actual. It doesn't make any sense to really have joy about something that's probable but not actual. But the gospel is good news. And the gospel is true. And for the Christian, assurance is that feeling application that the gospel is not just good news out there, but it's good news for me and for you. So with that sense of personal interest in the good news and the truthfulness of the gospel, you cannot help but be joyful. And you can't help it because it's the, the most important thing in all the world has already been settled in your favor. God is for you, and he loves you, and he's with you. And that joy is going to be evident to other people. And it's rooted in this sense of confidence and assurance. Fourth, assurance fires our zeal for evangelism. Assurance fires our zeal for evangelism. So with, with a firm confidence that all is well with your soul, it is simply impossible for you to be lukewarm in bearing witness for Christ. It can't happen. I've seen it with my own eyes. It can't happen. The, those most assured of their relationship to Christ are the most zealous in speaking about the things of God with other people. I've seen it. Consider, consider the opposite, though. Imagine you're just, like, mildly sure that the gospel is true. Like, meh, maybe. I think it might be. If that were true... Why would you bother to like press the urgency upon someone else? It doesn't make any sense. Imagine you're just like mildly sure that the gospel is true for you. Here's this amazing thing out there, but like, I mean, I don't know anything about it. Uh, how in the world could you be a faithful witness to Christ if you don't know that it's really true or that you have no personal interest in it? It just, it just doesn't make sense. And so what appeal is there for a lost person to join you in your weak and fragile faith that's unassured. There, there's no appeal. So, so we ought to press on to maturity, to the full assurance of faith, so that we might be compelling witnesses for Christ. We, we live in a crooked and twisted generation, Paul says. So we need this assurance so that we might be compelling witnesses for Christ. So, so let me just give you this tool in your tool belt for your personal ministry Asking about the assurance of salvation is one of the easiest and most natural ways of getting into gospel conversations. Whether that's with unbelieving friends or family, or even Christian friends and family. Asking them about their sense of confidence in the gospel. Asking them if they really do believe that they are right with God. Are they really sure about that? It opens doors. Um, is, it, is it just a reasonable wager that people are kind of placing their bed on the safest thing, better, better, safe to be, better safe than sorry? Is it, you know, they're doubtful, but it sure would be nice if it were true? It's, a, it's an easy door to open for the gospel. So you need to be ready in that moment to give a reason for the hope that you have and for the assurance of it. So a strong sense of assurance fuels and fires our zeal in evangelism. Fifth, assurance produces hope for eternity. It produces hope. When you come to die, 
and every single one of you will die someday. What is your only hope in life and death? Here's the answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's the answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. With a hope like that, where is there room for fear and doubt? With that kind of assurance that the gospel is true and my hope is sure and it's true for me. But not a single one of us lives in the full assurance of faith all the time, do we? No one does this perfectly. No one enjoys this gift perfectly and consistently all the time. So fifth and finally, let me give you five or let me give you several obstacles to assurance. Obstacles to assurance, the fifth point here. Why might a genuine Christian fail to live with a full assurance of faith? Here, here are a few reasons. First is spiritual sloth. Laziness and negligence in spiritual disciplines are leading causes for our failure to experience assurance. And I'm sure I don't have to explain this to you, how we're all prone to neglect Bible reading and meditation and memorization and prayer. Absence from corporate worship, being late and frazzled or distracted uh, during public and private worship. Contentment in doing the bare minimum just to get by and stay out of trouble. This kind of spiritual sloth is an obstacle to assurance. So, so what can you do? What do you do if you find yourself struggling with spiritual sloth? First of all, you can pray. Pray that the fire of the Holy Spirit would energize your zeal for God's kingdom and God's glory. Pray that the Holy Spirit would drive out sinful lusts like a mighty wind. Rather than to seek to puff it away on your own with your sighs and yawns and whimpers, Pray that the Holy Spirit will raise you up out of the clouds of despair and the fog of doubt and into the brightness of the morning sun of the glory of Christ. Pray. So I can't speak for your conscience, but I can speak to your conscience from the, on the basis of Scripture here. How much time have you lost in lazy lukewarmness for God? How much usefulness has been squandered in your spiritual drowsiness? How long have you been pressing the spiritual snooze button when the alarms of the Spirit call you to awaken and shake off your sleepiness and breathe in the morning air of the gospel? The crisp air of glory. You were made for this. You were made to live in full assurance of faith. Hebrews, excuse me, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has prepared exactly the right amount of stuff for you to do. Not too much, not too little. 
We need to pursue that with every fiber of our being, all the energy we can muster. So the first obstacle is spiritual sloth. The second one is fear. I want to come back to this. There can be no assurance where there's fear. But how do you get rid of such fear? How do you get rid of it? The scriptures teach us that perfect love casts out fear. So pray that God would impress upon your soul such a clear sense of his love, his love for you, that the fear of his displeasure would drive, would be driven away. God answers that prayer. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit. He will assure you of his love and he will drive away your fear. The scriptures teach us that we're not given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so if you're believing the gospel today, you, you should allow the gospel truth of God's love for you to drive away your fears. You do not have to be filled with fears and doubts about the state of your soul. You can cry out to God to fill you with the Spirit in such a way that will give you this undeniable sense of confidence that Christ is your Savior and your Lord. But here's another obstacle. I think the most likely scenario in cases where genuine Christians have weak assurance is in the asymmetries between life and doctrine. The asymmetries between life and doctrine. So a third obstacle to assurance is willful sin. Willful sin. Indwelling sin. Besetting sin. Willful sin are hindrances to gospel assurance. So if you are indulging sin of any kind, don't expect a strong faith or a firm sense of assurance. It may be an addiction that no one knows about. It may be a bondage in sinful lust that you keep secret. It could be materialism or negligence in a duty or responsibility. It could be sins of speech like gossip or slander or backbiting. Maybe you drink too much. Maybe you use profane speech. If you're harboring sin in your heart, you have no claim to assurance. So let me repeat that. You may not expect assurance so long as you are hanging on to any sin knowingly. Of course, nobody is perfect. I'm not saying you have to be sinlessly perfect. I mean willful, resolved unrepentance. God does not bless unrepentance. And he will not assure the double-minded man or the double-minded woman. And so the proper gospel response is not to say to yourself, well then, I guess there's just no way I'll have assurance because there's just no way I'm actually going to be free of these sins. I guess I'm just going to have to be one of those Christians that are just going to have a weak faith or a lack of assurance. I'll just kind of struggle through and limp along in my whole life because there's just no way I'm actually going to turn away from sin. Wrong. It's wrong. It's, if, it's fatally wrong. If, if you're unwilling to forsake sin, you are not doomed to be an unassured Christian. You are no Christian at all. No Christian at all. So I want to come back to what I mentioned at the beginning. There's an important distinction between those who are sincerely 
pursuing repentance of sin, but frequently fail. That's every single one of us. Nobody lives perfectly. But the situation of genuine repentance and frequent failing is entirely different from unrepentance. If there's a heart of repentance, no matter how many times you stumble and fall, Jesus Christ will forgive you. God will restore you. And God can even assure you, even if you're a frequent failure but genuine repenter, no matter how bad your sin is, there is grace for weak but repentant sinners. And even a frequently failing but repentant sinner can be blessed with extraordinary assurance and confidence in Christ. The, the reality is that every single one of us, every single one of us, God knows I'm talking about myself above everyone, we are frequently failing sinners in need of God's grace. And even the most disciplined and pious among us need this grace of assurance. And those who have been recently converted, and those who have been walking with Christ for a long, long time, decades even, they need the daily bread of forgiveness and grace from the Heavenly Father. They need this fresh sense of assurance and confidence. And God promises assurance to the repentant sinner. But you must repent. Even imperfect repentance. Even if it's one step forward and three steps backwards. That's fine. It's not ideal, but it's fine. God will bless that one step forward. And the Holy Spirit will sanctify over time throughout your life those three steps backwards. Until eventually we're walking step by step with Jesus. Keeping in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Gospel. Fourth and lastly here. I need to land this plane. Fourth and last. An obstacle to assurance is pride. Pride. But what I have in mind here is a particular kind of pride that resists assurance. We can deceive ourselves into believing that a lack of assurance is really a mark of humility. And on the surface, it might even sound way too bold to say that I am the friend of God. Jesus Christ died for me, and I am accepted by the Most High God. And He loves me, and He owns me for His child. And I have absolute certainty that on the day of judgment, God will look upon me and say, innocent. I'll be vindicated as righteous and I'll be declared holy in his sight. And there's no doubt in my mind that I'm a saint united to the holy God. That sounds bold and a bit audacious. And I get it. It sounds way too self-assured. But it's not self-assured. If it were self-assured, that would be a problem. But this is scripture-assured. This is gospel-promised. And it is a strange sort of pride to refuse to believe what God authoritatively says about you. That is a weird and wicked pride indeed. You, to, to think that you're more discerning about your soul than God is. To think that you're more stringent about sin than God is. My friend, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And it is not a mark of humility or maturity to be slow to embrace the freedom that Christ shed his blood to attain for you. So to be a Christian without assurance is to have a soul truly safe, but not a soul truly happy. 
And my friends, I want you to be happy in the full assurance of faith. God offers it to you. He desires to give you this gift. An assurance, it honors Christ best. An assurance blesses other people most. And aren't you tired of working your fingers to the bone to gain a sense of God's approval of you? Isn't it wearying to labor under the yoke of doubt and uncertainty? You don't have to. No one's asking you to. In fact, there's an exhortation that stands this morning. Jesus offers you the sole rest of true assurance. Why would you fail to attain it? He he invites you in. He says, let us draw near to Jesus by faith with a true heart made new by the Spirit in the full assurance of faith in God's promises. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have made such precious promises. We thank you that you have offered us the full assurance of faith. God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts and mine as well, that we would live in the freedom and the glory of Christ, confident and and purposeful with a sense of your nearness. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.